a million years would have seen myself doing anything like this. But I realise now that if you don't say something, then you're condoning it. This Limerick man is a local hero in Fort Chippewan, a remote town of mostly indigenous people in northern Canada. My name is Dr John O'Connor. I'm from Limerick. I left in 1984 to move to Canada and have for the last 18 years, almost 19 years, been practising family medicine in northern Alberta. Dr John O'Connor's been fighting a battle on behalf of the people here in Fort Chippewan for the last 10 years. Fort Chippewan is God's country. It's beautiful here. We have our lake, which is kind of getting polluted right now. We have the rocks. We have the land. We have the wildlife here. We have uh, all these different plants and medicines and berries that we can gather. We can smoke our moose meat, make dry fish. Everybody is happy. There's no rush. Oh, we used to drink the water right off the river with a cup and or a tea bell and good fresh water years back right off the Athabasca River on the side of the canoe or boat, you know. Now, last number of years, I don't dare drink that water. Downstream from the biggest known oil reserve in the world, this Limerick GP has found himself at the centre of a Canadian controversy involving water, oil and cancer. Not one resident in the community believes that he caused undue alarm. To us, he was our hero by speaking out. He continues to be our hero. People speak very fondly of our beloved Dr. O'Connor. Two hundred and fifty kilometers up the river Athabasca, this is the Alberta tar sands, oil country. Canada is one of the biggest foreign suppliers of oil to the United States, and this place is the source of huge wealth for the country. It's created massive employment for the people living in the province of Alberta. It's so hard to describe in words how profoundly industrialized the landscape has become. I mean, if you walk a few hundred meters off the river, you go from a verdant green environment into a moonscape where it just looks like death and destruction. And it's just a shock to the system and uh, takes your breath away. It, it It calls for me, it calls into question sort of the sanity of our species that we would do this to the earth and to the people and to the waterways all for a little bit of oil. The Alberta oil sands is a vast resource. The area currently being mined for oil is 80,000 square kilometres, the equivalent of the size of Ireland, and oil companies are keen to develop further. White people don't see the damage they do. You know, no matter who they hurt, they don't care because this is our land. It was only loaned to the white man when the first treaty was signed. What's loaned? 
That's what I, I understood was uh, told by my great ancestors. I think there was a large pocket of the population, you know, 10, 15 years ago that really didn't know what was going on and what was happening downstream. Not until a certain person brought it to life. Troublemaker. I just echoed what I heard. <laughs> You're a troublemaker, John O'Connor. Charlene O'Connor. I'm Dr. John O'Connor's wife. We've worked together since uh, 1996. I would never see him if I didn't work with him. So it, it is great. And seeing his passion and his compassion for his patients just inspires me to be a better nurse. Hi, Dr. O'Connor. It all began when Dr. O'Connor started working with Canadian Aboriginal communities in 1993. Okay, okay. And so does she report to diagnostic imaging? And he took on the position of family physician to the town of Fort Chippewan. Okay, okay. I will let her know right away. Thanks very much. Bye. It was pretty smooth coming up here, so... In winter, you can reach Fort Chippewan by a road made from ice. In summer, the only way to get to this community of 1,200 people is by aeroplane. Alright, so to get your seatbelt off, you twist in the middle and it releases this 16, 12 or 16 Ireland's could fit into Alberta. I mean, the population doesn't compare, but it's just the, the enormity of it. As you fly north, the trees begin to lessen in number uh, because you're getting close to the Canadian Shield. Uh, the scenery is absolutely breathtaking. I've done it countless times, and it's still, it's, it just does literally take your breath away. And then to come across this lake, Lake Athabasca, which is about 200 miles long, and uh, and then this community nestled on, on the North Shore, you know, it, it, it really is a, a treasure, a wonder to behold. On arrival in the community, and for probably the first few weeks, I was being vetted by the elders. It's one thing that happens when you go into a, an Aboriginal community. The elders have to trust you. And if you're trusted, then the rest of the community will fall in line. The whole, I guess, First Nations Aboriginal blend was, for me, you know, coming from Limerick, something that I, I'd never come across, and, and it's just, it gets into your blood, I guess. Around here. It's already cut up there. We're going to skin it all the way out. Okay, so it was killed last night around 10 o'clock, so it's kind of hard. Most of the people that live in Fort Chip have been here for generations, living off the land. They're native Canadians, Aboriginal people from bands like Athabasca Chippewan and Mikisiu Cree, referred to here as First Nations, as well as the Metis people. See how sharp this knife is? you got to be really careful. Yeah. We, we want to keep this hidey. The easiest way with the deer is to go like this, see? Just pull it at the same time. Yeah, look, see? The land is wild and abundant. The people here are traditionally hunters, trappers and fur traders. For centuries, their diet has consisted of fish from the lake, berries gathered in the bush, meat caught in the land and water from their river. I've been all over this part, right into an or to fir trees, hunting herbals. Herbals are the animals. That's one of them laying on that picture, see? I'm holding over there the antler. They call herbals. One of the best meat there is. And until recently, it was considered a very healthy way to survive. 
my expectation was that I would see a community that was overall healthy. And as I got to know them and got to know their uh, previously documented medical histories, it increasingly dawned on me that, you know, this was not as healthy a community as what I expected. A lot of previously documented illnesses, cancers in many cases, and also a whole uh, slew of autoimmune diseases, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, you know, such a small community, uh, 1,200 people. There are no priests in Fort Chippewan. Margaret Simpson is a Catholic lay presider. Hello. She began conducting funerals in 2000. It just started all of a sudden to get more, more and more and more funerals. I know people used to die before, maybe five, six, one year. That's lots to, to lose that many in one year. But when it comes to <laughs> over 20, close to 30 people a year, Every time somebody went to a doctor, they come back, they got cancer. They have cancer. They have cancer. It was just so crazy to understand all this and that. Sometimes we'll go to two funerals in one week. When we're getting tired, I'm running out of words to say to the people. Dr. Connor, he's seen it all. He helped us so much. He was really caring, really took time to talk to the people. For Chip itself, as a community, had been trying for years to have their voice heard. They simply wanted to know why things were the way they were. I couldn't answer, but together we sort of set out on a journey to find out why. And we're sort of still on that journey, I guess. We, we talked about it all the time. It was sort of something we would discuss, you know, in the evening in a debriefing kind of session. He started digging deeper and deeper, and that's part of John's personality. He He's like a dog with a bone. He will not let it go. And I think that's why people respect him and trust him so much, is because he will, he won't stop until he gets the answers. I began to accumulate my own list of people with illnesses. And, you know, it, as a single sort of sole physician going into a community like that, sometimes you wonder, am I not sort of seeing the wood for the trees? Am I too close to the action, so to speak? But in consultation with some of my colleagues, especially the specialists in Fort McMurray, who'd seen, uh, you know, some of the members of Fort Chip over the years, sort of put, put the question to them, you know, are you guys seeing as much pathology as what I think I'm seeing up here? And as they had time to reflect, they said, actually, yes, we, we realize that people coming from Fort Chip seem to be sicker, you know, when they come in than what we'd expected. 7 o'clock and you're tuned to Edmonton AM on CBC 740. People living in Fort Chippewan in northern Alberta are experiencing high rates of cancer and other serious diseases. Warren Simpson is one resident diagnosed with cancer. Fort Chippewan, it's, it's, there's a really high rate of cancer up there, so I'm used to hearing about people being having cancer, but for myself it was... I never thought it would happen. In early 2006, Dr. O'Connor started to speak publicly for the first time about his concerns. Dr. John O'Connor is Fort Chip's doctor. He flies in every week to treat patients. Dr. O'Connor, good morning. Good morning, Ron. What kinds of cancers and what kinds of serious diseases are you seeing in Fort Chip? 
I'm seeing very high rates of a relatively unusual cancer called cholangiocarcinoma. Um, it was one of the first interviews, and John was never comfortable in the beginning speaking to reporters and stuff. His job was behind the scenes taking care of patients. He just mentioned his concerns, and it sort of snowballed from there. That's extraordinary. It is. Do you know why? I wish I did. We've looked at lots of issues in the in the population, and I don't really think I was concerned because he was just talking and, and and relaying concerns that him and I had discussed, and it was the truth. So you know, I wasn't really concerned. Diseases, but nevertheless, serious uh, the diseases and illnesses. We've called for an investigation in, in terms of the, uh, the health of the population for chip. Also listening to the interview that morning was former chief of the Mikisu First Nation in Fort Chippewan, George Potra. And listening to the interview really frustrated me because I was a leader in my community. And once I heard that interview, what frustrated me was, again, our community was being treated unjustly. This would all point to something almost as if it's something is in the environment or something is in the ground or something is in the water or something located in the Fort Chip area that would cause all of this. It's very tempting to think that that may be the case. I've sort of uh, been advising people, you know, n- not to panic, but to um, push for testing to ensure that we're not dealing with something like that. And as a, a mere GP going into the community, um, I'm, I'm seeing things that I really shouldn't be seeing in, in, in numbers in my lifetime yeah. as a family doc. Well, uh, Dr. O'Connor, uh, good of you to join me this morning, and uh, we'll stay in touch and see if uh, some answers can be, can be found. Thank you very much for your interest, Ron. Appreciate your time. Thank you. That's uh, Dr. John O'Connor, a GP who treats people in Fort Chip. He's also the medical examiner. So this is a tar sands dam. We're standing on the highway and I had Dot zoom in with her. Um, Donna Lisenby is from the Waterkeeper Alliance, a worldwide organisation that protects waterways. She's visiting the Alberta oil sands to carry out research on the Athabasca River, which flows into Lake Athabasca and Fort Chippewan. Anyway, it's another shot of the breach in the dam. It's only become technologically possible to separate the oil from the sand in the last 50 years or so. Many chemicals and water are used in this process, and when the process is finished, the companies are left with a problem. Millions of litres of water contaminated with chemicals. Huge man-made lakes have been constructed to try and contain this liquid. These lakes are known as tailings ponds. There's a lot of mixed waste going into the ponds. It's sort of a toxic soup. In a review of the environmental permitting documents for the facilities... What was amazing to me is that none of the ponds were required to be lined. And we spent the day out on the Athabasca River yesterday at the base of some of these ponds. What's interesting is that a lot of the ponds here in the tar sands are built over sand. They're very porous. So the ideal of any wastewater pond would be, it would be like a bowl. These ponds function more like colanders or sieves. The water is just leaking through the bottom of the ponds. They're completely 
unlined. They're not waterproof. I think that they are recognized that they leak into the groundwater. And when you fly over the tar sands region, it's it's heartbreaking. They've completely denuded all the living forests and the natural ecosystem, and there's this giant moonscape of a hole, usually several holes, and beside them, and they're larger than a football stadium. Much If you took several football stadiums and put them together, they would not equal the size of one of the open pit mines and the associated tailings ponds or process-affected water ponds that treat the waste. And so they just cover thousands of acres. One of the biggest things that's really fascinating to go to on these huge waste ponds because their water is so toxic, if birds land on them, they die. And so they have these little orange scarecrow men with little blue helmets on them on sticks all around the pond, on poles sticking up out of the pond, and every 15 or 20 seconds you hear a shotgun blast. And so these are automated and timed shotgun blasts. They don't actually shoot pellets in the air, but they make the noise. And combined with the scarecrow, that's their mechanism for trying to keep birds from landing in this incredibly toxic water that um, kills them. It's now uh, Saturday, July 6, 2013. Right now we're in, uh, on Highway 63 North. This is a, a, f- a favourite gathering spot for uh, this peaceful protest called the Healing Walk. This is the fourth year of this uh, protest against the type of development that we're seeing in this area. So we're just walking with uh, two tailings ponds, one on either side of the road. The one on our left-hand side is a more recent tailings pond of Syncrudes. And on the, the right-hand side, we've got uh, an older tailings pond that uh, yeah. belongs to Suncor, who was the, the first company that opened up in the tar sands in 1967. Well, you look like you're in the middle of an industrial park. There's no trees, there's no birds. Um, all you see is smokestacks and large trucks and vehicles. But it's the smell that's the most powerful. Even if you closed your eyes, you'd know where you were just by the smell. The quality of the river water in a decade or two before I arrived had changed. Uh, There was a complaint of a constant uh, sheen of oil on the surface of the river and the lake, and also that the fish that they were catching were increasingly contaminated. Hey, my name is Raymond Laudusur. A lot of people knows me as Big Ray. Today... I'm one one of the best people, say, out in the lake. I can fight storms because I fished from young age. I held a commercial fishing license this year. It was 56 years. So I fished the whole Lake Athabasca into Saskatchewan. I crisscrossed that lake, and I know the winds. It's pretty rough sometimes out there. you got to know how to handle the boat. Otherwise, you're a goner. I picked millions of pounds of fish out of the nets commercially, and then about 20 years ago, we started catching these deformed fish, posting faces, humpbacks, crooked tails, and all kinds of things, bulge out eyes, and we just throw them away. I've been complaining, nobody want to listen, and they're going to totally ruin this whole lake eventually. Big Ray doesn't fish anymore. 
In fact, hardly anyone does. No one will buy the fish. My boat smells a little bit, I guess you can smell it a little bit already, yes. I'm going to go out and set nets, gill nets, these are called gill nets. Charlie Cardinal is one of the last commercial fishermen in Fort Chippewan, trying to make a living from the lake. Not that easy to start this motor. <laughs> During the short summer fishing months, he and his partner Florence Lizat take his small boat out on Lake Athabasca, looking for fish like whitefish, goldeye and pickerel. Yeah, I've been fishing all my life. Started when I was young. Well, I was brought up in the bush, eh? Like Big Ray, like Big Pointer. No, we don't even have it anywhere to sell our fish. All this talk about these fish being polluted in this lake and all that, so it's kind of hard to sell anywhere. When I was growing up, at then there was a lot of boats, 30, 35 boats like that. People, you know, just... You just look out in the lake, you just see boats like all over, like all fishermen. Now you just go there, you just see five, maybe six. <laughs> me now, it's only me now. <laughs> Everybody says the fish is bad, don't eat anything out of the water. So bang, there goes your fishing industry, it's gone. Just like that. The industry, they had a spill a few months back and they sent some people down, you know, to explain to us. They're very soft talkers, they're very nice and they feed us well and what they were trying to say it was just dirty water right and I said okay explain to me what dirty water is in your exact chemical whatever what's in your water it's not natural right he goes no it's not natural and I said so it's synthetic water and he just got no it's uh well we put chemicals in it to clean the water well okay what was in that pipe and what spilled into the river is what I want to know my kids swim here you know, what's coming down the river? That's, that's scary. It's scary, right? Now, some in the community were immediately connecting, you know, their, their health changes with the industry. But, of course, that, that was very anecdotal. Um, my own uh, question was, you know, when you look at a situation like this, a community like this, you look at uh, the possibility that the, the pathology or the illness burden has happened as a result of bad luck. Uh, it could be lifestyle, it could be genetics, it could be environmental. So having looked at uh, the picture more closely in, over a number of years, it seems to me, and based on the types of illness, that genetics plays a very little, if any, role in this. Um, in terms of lifestyle, well, you've got 80% of the community reliant on uh, subsistence of the land. And if the land is as healthy as what it should be, then there shouldn't be an issue. Um, you look at bad luck, well, I guess that's a, an unknown entity and, and unquantifiable. But environment, when we know now environment plays a role in almost every cancer in one way or another. So I thought, you know, once this uh, information was out there, that I would get a call and we would have a meeting convened where we'd sit around a table, sleeves rolled up, and sort of go through the information and then try to figure out a plan as to where we go from here. What I did get was uh, a blank, a blanket denial that there was a problem. But pressure was now on the federal health authorities to investigate Dr O'Connor's claim. Two months after his radio interview, the authorities came to Fort Chip and told residents they'd looked at the statistics and there was no cause for concern. 
So there was a lot of suspicion. And when that meeting ended, people were shaking their heads, just, you know, saying, this is no, there's something wrong here. I felt at that point I'm part of this community. I'd been, I think, six or seven years their only physician. We were on our own. Dr O'Connor had not been silenced, and he continued to speak out against the findings that there was no problem in Fort Chippewan. But it wasn't long before he would pay the price. And then in late 2006, early 2007, I got a series of complaints against me at the College of Physicians in Edmonton. This is a regulatory body, um, like the Medical Council in Ireland. Um, These complaints came from Health Canada and from Alberta Health, uh, the two entities that had been found wanting in in looking after the community for CHIP. It was a shock, a big package in the mail first, and um, I had to respond to the college within a short period of time. I, I, I was stunned. Uh, my wife, Charlene, was, I think we were in the kitchen at the, at the end of the day and was just opening this, this bundle and I, I had nothing to say. I was totally, totally speechless and I read the stuff a few times. I, I don't think I absorbed it. Charlene went through every word of it and just threw it down in disgust saying this is crap and, you know, and, and look at the people that are complaining. The, the physicians from Health Canada that came to the community and said there's nothing wrong. And these are the people on whose watch all this happened. It was so overwhelming because it was such a thick package with so many different tiny little concerns. So when we started looking at it and going through it, um, it just none of it made sense. Irregular billing, um, they were talking about the contract, but that one really was confusing because they're the ones, their lawyers set up the contract. Uh, not reporting uh, cases uh, in a timely fashion to the authorities, all bewildering, bizarre, and totally without any foundation whatsoever. The most disturbing to our community was by Dr. Connor making claims of observing unusual cancers in Fort Chapon. He was causing undue alarm in our community. The people really respected him greatly for what he'd done. And it's it's like... uh, Sort of a David Goliath show, you know, where, you know, the the Goliath is the Alberta Health Services here in Alberta, and a lonely doctor trying to make his cause known. But still, he just stood his ground. I was so proud of him. My license could have been jerked. I could have been permanently unable to practice medicine in Alberta and, and probably in Canada. I had no option. I had to retain a lawyer, the medical protection lawyer, and... Um, what ensued after that was two years and nine months of hell. So we just, you know, discussed it with our lawyer to see what we needed to do and answered the questions that we needed to answer. But the one very vague one, you know, raising undue alarm, like in in whose perspective was was even raising alarm? Not definitely not in the communities. Um, but so it was concerning because it was hanging over his head and that he could lose his license. But. I guess I guess we both always believe that you know honesty and, and truth will prevail eventually. The majority of the time was spent waiting on responses from the College of Physicians. They they move very very slowly. So gathering evidence, going to meetings with uh, my lawyer in Edmonton, and um, you know just trying to keep sane. There was endless phone calls and. It was constant um, in the media, constant questions, constant interviews. 
you couldn't walk out the door, you couldn't go shopping you couldn't, without people coming up, and, and it was always there, just in, in an intense spotlight. I mean, I guess we both felt the stress, but we drew strength from each other, so any time that John was feeling a little bit down, I happened to get backbone or back and forth. We've always worked together, and I think that was the strength that we had because it wasn't a supportive wife, but not understanding the problem. I was in the middle of it with him, so it was easier to understand the time that he had to spend away from the family, um, time that he maybe had to be, you know, fighting the fight that he had to, but usually we were together with it, so that makes it easier. And our, all of our kids supported us, so that was huge as well. If I didn't have such a strong wife, a partner and supporter, I don't know what what I would have done. My name is Archie Walkwin. I was past chief for six terms of my First Nation, which is the Mixu Cree. Comparing it to 20 years ago, we have more people actually working in the oil sands. You know, I think it's good for the younger people to you know, be able to provide for their families. You know, there's none here. There's no work here, very little. And the best place for them is probably in the old sense. And I think this, uh, you know, we can say a lot of bad things about the old sense, but the thing is it does provide employment and, you know, the well-being for their families, the people that are actually working there for their families, and, and they're starting to, you know, have some material wealth. By early 2009, two years after Dr. O'Connor had received the complaints made against him, he was still living with the charge of causing undue alarm in Fort Chippewan. Members of the medical community rallied around with the Canadian Medical Association passing motions supporting a doctor's right to speak out. Scientists and academics were also going to help his cause. Oil sands development contributes polycyclic aromatic compounds to the Athabasca River. In a study of the Athabasca River, University of Alberta scientist Dr. David Schindler and others found that the oil sands were contributing toxic elements to the river. We show that the oil sands development is a greater source of contamination than previously realised. In February of 2009, uh, the Alberta Cancer Board, who a year before had uh, undertaken a review of cancer in Fort Chip, and, and they took a year to do it. Alberta Cancer Board announced their findings. Cancer incidents in Fort Chippewan, Alberta, 1995 to 2006. The cancer rate overall, 51 cancers in 47 individuals, was higher than expected. About a 30% higher rate of cancer in Fort Chip, including rare cancers. One of the comments was that, uh, unfortunately, the community was wrong to be given the all-clear back in 2006. So there's been a, a sort of a succession of contradictory stories. Higher than expected numbers of cancers of the blood and lymphatic system, biliary tract cancers as a group, and soft tissue cancers were found. The Alberta Cancer Board did conclude that there was at least two cholangiocarcinoma, cholangiocarcinoma being a bile duct cancer, being very rare and aggressive. Statistically, I'm told that you should find one case in a population of 100,000 people. Uh, the cancer study concluded there was two in our population of 1,200 people. So they proved it. They confirmed our fears and our claims. So they can't say there's no unusual cancers. We can't conclude with any certainty that these cancers are being caused by the tar sands impacts, by environmental impacts, by water quality, or perhaps the 
the impacts, emissions coming from tar sands are impacting the water, the snow, which the animals eat, the fish. And uh, we're consuming that on a regular basis because that's our, our staple diet. Uh, we can't conclude that. We suspect there's a relationship. And that's our challenge today is it's, it's a David and Goliath situation. Will we ever be able to prove it with, with 100% certainty? Likely not. Um, and so that's, that's what we're faced with. In late 2009, I finally got vindication. And it was bittersweet. The register of the college um, provided the documentation, 13 pages. The College of Physicians report contained the vital line. Neither the complainants nor the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta wishes to suggest that Dr. O'Connor acted improperly when he raised concerns about the incidence of cancer in Fort Chippewan based on his observations. But it also contained some reservations. In a timely manner. Did not respond to multiple requests for information after he had made public his concerns about the incidence of cancer in the community of Fort Chippewan. And... Made a number of but when he'd express his opinion, I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't accept this. I said, I'm, I'm glad I've, you're clearing me, but you're, you're not. It I, sounds like I'm being sort of found uninnocent, you know, this, the only thing I could think of. So I, I asked my lawyer, I said, can we, can we push this to a public hearing? And his um, response, his attitude was, you know, he's closed the file, there's nothing said, you go to a public hearing, it's going to drag on and on. I said, I wanted to. So I, I took his advice. He said, you're cleared, just let it, you know. I guess in a way it's still sort of plaguing us because the case was closed. It was never cleared one way or another. So I don't think it's ever going to truly end. Um, and that's one problem. But um, we're definitely not going to stop the fight. And I know John will never until he sees that the health studies are done and, and sees that the changes are made. So I guess it's going to be an uphill battle for a long time. Dr John O'Connor continues to work with First Nations communities living in the Alberta oil sands and remains on call for the residents of Fort Chip. He's still pushing for a comprehensive health study for Fort Chippewan, which has never been carried out. Dr O'Connor is a hero in our books and Fort Chippewan Aboriginal people love him. And, there's, and he is a hero. He just told the government exactly what was going on in Fort Chip and they they try to take his license away, try to blackball him, try to charge him, but they had nothing to stand on. They had to they had to remove all their all the charges that they had against him. Oh, I'm an activist now, for sure. Being placed in the middle of it thanks to my husband, and I do truly thank him for it, um, I became aware of a lot of issues that I had no understanding of and just made myself aware of them and realized how wrong they were. And so now we are activists and we're never going to change. Being an activist was the farthest thing from my mind. I mean, a, a, an advocate for patients uh, that's built into our, our job as, as physicians. It's our duty. But never in a million years would I have... Uh, envisioned that I'd be doing this but I realize now that this was the reason why I came certainly to Alberta if not to Canada.
this represents the the communities and their slow, steady, quiet self-advocacy that has happened for, for years and years. This, this is much more of my sort of uh, activity than, you know, climbing top of a, a smokestack and unfurling a, a Greenpeace banner or, uh, you know, lying down in the middle of the highway. This is exactly what the Aboriginal community is about in Canada. And, you know, despite everything and the cannons going off around us, this is what the First Nations do. And they're very patient, very noble, very quiet. They take a lot of abuse and they quietly demonstrate their concern for their communities and their environment and the land. So I feel really good to be here today.